Well, good morning. My name is David Clarkson, and I'm the minister here at Berkeley View Fourth Church. I'm sure some of you at least will know that. But welcome to those of you who are here today, and those of you who are joining us uh, online. Um, it's good to have all of you together for worship with us today. For those of you um, who are watching online and have not made it here yet, we can actually now use our balcony, and so we have additional space available for people. And uh, if you've kind of sat and thought, well, mm, I'm just not totally sure, um, you can see that we are at distance, people are wearing masks, we're keeping it as safe as we possibly can, um, and so um, it would be good to get more folks together uh, in the building to, to worship. You do still need to book uh, to come to church. Again, it's just for, for seating and so that we can work out um, who's, who's coming and where uh, we're, we're going to need the spaces we're going to need. The craft group uh, are preparing for next week for Pentecost and for getting um, stuff on the railings as they've done uh, for other events. As we uh, head towards Pentecost, we are having uh, another opportunity to join in prayer in a virtual 24-7 prayer room. And, uh, and there are still some spaces, so please uh, sign up for, uh, for an hour. If we just need the names so that we know that there are people praying for each uh, hour. And that's from 11 o'clock on Saturday the 22nd of May, that's next week, to 11 o'clock on Sunday the 23rd of May. Uh, and we'll celebrate that at uh, the end of that time at our service next week. Um, I've said in the last couple of weeks that we would normally throughout the year have welcomed new uh, members to the church, uh, those who are joining the Church of Scotland for the first time uh, and those who are uh, moving from another congregation. But we've not really done that because of, of lockdown. And so we're hoping uh, that uh, at the end of June, on Sunday the 20th of June, we are going to be able to have uh, time when we formally welcome new people. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the signs of the Spirit's presence and his activity in our lives, changing our attitudes, reshaping our thoughts, and transforming our desires. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you've poured into our lives. You want us to use them for building up the life of the church, enabling us to declare your love and witness to your truth. We appreciate that we are very different people with different backgrounds, different hopes, different fears. That your love and your spirit make us one. We thank you for every member and every person's contribution to the life, the worship, mission, and ministry of your church. For the assurance that our life together now is simply a small sample of the joy and peace that we share together in Jesus for eternity. We thank you for each other and for our fellowship in the Spirit. May all that we say and do as your church enable others to know the joy of sins forgiven and the promise of eternal life in Jesus. We thank you for your word that helps us to understand what it means to be a disciple. We thank you that we see people that we can recognize because they get it wrong. 
they, they do things that don't honor you. They're not perfect. And we understand that. And yet, Father, we thank you that it also speaks of grace, of mercy, of compassion, of forgiveness and gentleness. And Father, we thank you that that has been our experience. That when we come to you and we ask for forgiveness, you forgive. And so we thank you for the lessons that there are for us in your word. And we're conscious that there was a time when Jesus' disciples had to ask him to teach them how to pray. And there are times that we struggle with that. And so as we join together in saying the words that he taught them, we pray that you would make them real to us. That they would be from our heart in response to your love. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And now Catherine is going to come and do our reading for today. The reading from today is from Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 11 to 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forwards by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the gifts that God gives to his church. Some are kind of like supernatural, supercharged natural abilities, and others are very clearly supernatural. Leadership, teaching, service, wisdom, those are abilities that, that many people have naturally but they come in a list of spiritual gifts that God gives. Prophecy, miracles, tongues, clearly supernatural. 
But with God, when given to him and used by him, they become supernatural. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14, and we saw that some people in Corinth were misusing the gifts that God had given, and even sharing the Lord's Supper had become chaotic. Everyone doing their own thing. But Paul didn't tell them to stop using their gifts. Rather, he gave them clear instructions about maintaining order in worship, reminding them that everybody has something to bring, and all are important to the proper working of the church. He stressed the importance of love, the guide to getting it right, that gifts are to be used to build each other up. If we're honest, we are not really in a danger of needing to be warned about excessive use of spiritual gifts, but we do need the reminder that God has given us all of us who believe, from the youngest to the oldest, gifts that are for building up the whole body. You might have guessed by now that I don't subscribe to the teaching that these gifts were only for the early church. The church needed to be built up then, and it still needs to be built up. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. He still loves the church, and he still wants it to grow. There are three main passages in uh, the New Testament where spiritual gifts are listed. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4, but these are not exhaustive. They're they're not the same, um, and there are others that are mentioned separately from those. But in our reading today, we have what has become known as the five-fold ministry because it lists five things. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors or shepherds, and teachers. If you do uh, a search online for Apest, so they, they, they make pastor shepherd. I think because apept sounds like it was something you would take if you've got indigestion. But apest, so that would be uh, shepherd instead of pastor. You'll be able to find out uh, a bit more about it. You can also take an online test. It's, it's not one that you're marked for, but it gives you an idea of which one you are, um, if you would like to find that out. Historically, the church has emphasized the role of pastor-teacher, and for generations, ministry has had that focus. Recruitment and training in the church has favored people with those particular gifts. But if we're honest, since the high point in the, the late 50s, the church has been in decline. And so, over the last few years, people have begun to think, well, could that be because actually we don't just need pastors and teachers? Here's a teaching that says we also need apostles, evangelists, and prophets. And so, over these last few years, there's been a growth of teaching about the necessity of developing the whole people of God and encouraging each to find their gift. Paul says that these five gifts are given by God and they're kind of leadership, gifts and leadership roles. 
because they are given for a specific purpose, and that is to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So, you know, you wouldn't think uh, of equating an apostle with an administrator, but both are functions and roles and gifts given by God. And, and both are required, both are necessary. There's no need for a hierarchy in that. One, perhaps, is more upfront, and you understand that if you're, if you're teaching or preaching and leading in that kind of way. Um, but both are necessary. In fact, those who preach and teach, we're told, are held to a higher standard and greater accountability. But God has set his leaders in place for his church to function. And those truly called into those places will have been tested and proven, having been prepared, not that they're particularly desiring a position, but just wanting to serve Jesus in a way that he wants them to. There are lots of different ideas in the body of Christ today about these things. And so I'm going to tell you what I think. <laughs> I have to start by acknowledging that for the sake of time, I'm going to use generalities, do you know? I am going to say at times phrases like, apostles are. But I know that they're not all like that. But for the sake of time and ease of explanation, um, please understand that. So the first thing to say is that apostles govern. When it comes to a study of the fivefold ministry in the New Testament, prophets are mentioned a few times. Evangelists are specifically mentioned a couple of times. Pastors and teachers are referred to occasionally. But apostles are mentioned often, really often, throughout the New Testament. And yet, I think apostleship is the most misunderstood of all of them. I think over the centuries, the term apostle disappeared from use until a recent uh, kind of awakening of interest over the last 40 or so years. That doesn't mean they didn't exist. They would have been called something else, maybe missionary or pastor. Yet the dispensational belief that the Holy Spirit stopped moving with the end of the apostolic age would have taught that these things couldn't possibly be because Holy Spirit didn't do that anymore. And so today, lots of people are trying to gain an understanding of what it looks like in our day and our time. Of course, we are human, and sometimes the result has been an unhealthy elevation of the, a particular person to, to that office of apostle. But I think we need to distinguish between the first 12 apostles or disciples um, as, as people, and the office of an apostle. Those who seek to teach that apostles have disappeared, I think overlook the fact that throughout the book of Acts and into the, the New Testament, they are mentioned again and again and again. Author and theologian Jim Gall uh, defines an apostle as one called and sent by Christ to have spiritual authority, character, gifts, and abilities to reach and establish people in kingdom truth and order especially through founding and overseeing local churches. An apostle has a burden to build something that didn't exist before. They lay the foundation of new local churches and the sea to it 
that they become mature. Apostles have a burden to ground their church in solid Bible teaching, an example of which you see in Acts chapter 11, when Paul and Barnabas spent two years in Antioch. And they spent that time teaching them and equipping them. And then they left them to go on with it because they had done their work. Apostles have the desire to train and to raise up church leaders who come into full maturity in the church to release them and then move on to plant another church. Making themselves redundant is their greatest reward as they father their spiritual children into adulthood. But you know, when I was writing this, <laughs> I thought of the number of times that in Prestwick, I said, do you know what? My job is to make myself redundant. I hadn't, hadn't understood really at the time, but I said over and over again, my job is to make myself redundant. And I actually think that's true. And actually they're coping quite well without me. <laughs> you know, in a context like ours then, where many congregations have been established for decades and there's general decline, what role is there for somebody who loves to plant churches? who loves to see the big picture, who loves to get out and do different things. What role is there for someone with an apostolic gifting? Well, we still need people who get and see the big picture of church and society, who have an entrepreneurial attitude and see things that other people don't see. Within our congregations, we need people who can identify new areas for ministry and growth, who are passionate about the kingdom and long to see church grow. The second group is prophets, and prophets guide. Someone who represents the interests of God to the people. Having stood in the counsel of God, the prophet releases a call to the people of what is in God's heart at that moment. Prophets reveal God's heart to his people, giving guidance to individuals and the body, giving revelation as well as interpretation, application, and timing. And we see several examples of that throughout the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 21, there's a prophet called Agabus. And he comes to Paul, um, and he says to Paul that he's going to be bound, and he's going to be handed over to the Romans when he gets to Jerusalem. It's a good example of where prophecy can be rightly interpreted. That was what was to happen. But it was applied wrongly, because Paul's companions urged him not to go to Jerusalem when actually the word from God was when he got there, this is what would happen. On one level, we can understand their desire to protect him and to allow him to continue his work. But it was in direct opposition to what God had said through Agabus. And therein is the kind of dilemma. How do you know if the prophetic word really is from God? How do you know if it's for now or for a later time? Because prophecy is not fortune-telling. It can be obscure. It can be really challenging. And actually, prophetic people can be difficult, especially if they think they're not being listened to. And that's caused lots of folk to totally reject prophets and prophecy. But this verse tells us that God has put prophets in his church they have a function that is vitally important. And his church is not going to be complete if we reject their ministry out of fear. And, and lots of ministers and pastors and church leaders live in fear of prophets, feeling threatened 
by what they might say to the church or about the ministry. Prophecy is foretelling and it's also foretelling, speaking the things of God to the people of God and to the wider community. But prophetic words need to be weighed and considered in the light of Scripture. And then we have evangelists. And if we're honest, evangelists is something that we are desperately in need of in the church in Scotland, not just of Scotland, but in Scotland today. An evangelist carries a real burden for those who are not yet part of the kingdom of God. They have an anointing to preach the gospel to them that comes with real conviction and draws people to the Lord. Evangelists may also have signs and wonders following them to confirm the message that they bring. The prime example of an evangelist in the New Testament is Philip, one of the men chosen to serve the widows in Acts chapter 6. He's the only one specifically called an evangelist in Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 8, he obeys the Holy Spirit and he brings the word of God to, to an Ethiopian who was traveling home. And as he spoke to that man, he revealed Jesus. And that man came to faith. So if you think of it this way, evangelists create converts while apostles and teachers make disciples. The foremost desire of the evangelist is to see people come into the kingdom of God and then leave that discipling process to others. They love teaching others how to win people. They don't feel like they're actually doing enough in accomplishing their task. And they are often grieved to see what they believe is indifference on other believers regarding the lost. Evangelists are absolutely crucial for numerical growth in the local church and in the kingdom of God. And then pastors. Pastors guard the pastor is the heart of the church, a shepherd who cares for the sheep, ready to lay down everything for them. Someone who wants them to be fed, to grow, to be equipped, to develop their gifting and step into the calling of God for them. In the local church, the pastor is the bridge between the, the different offices and functions, listening to all sides and restoring calm where it's required. Jesus, the supreme shepherd, taught us a lot about shepherding sheep, giving us an example of what a pastor should look like. The pastor's greatest concern is the well-being of the sheep and the body of Christ, not only bringing training, but correction and protection where necessary. The office of the pastor, as I said earlier, is one of the, the most recognized in the church today. And I think sometimes because of a lack of understanding of the other four, people called into the church and into leadership in the church have sometimes had to become pastors. Therefore, filling shoes that were not theirs and creating tensions in the church because they couldn't meet the need. They couldn't do what the pastor was expected to do. It's time for the church to allow evangelists, teachers, apostles, and prophets to be what they are called to be and to take their place in the church. 
And lastly, teachers. Teachers ground. Teachers teach and edify the church, imparting divine life and anointing to the listeners who become more hungry for the Word of God as, as the teacher opens it up and explains it and, and brings it alive. While prophets reveal the heart of God, teachers reveal His mind. Prophets and teachers balance each other in the church, which, of course, sometimes creates attention. Prophets have revelation of hidden things, while teachers reveal things that are hidden in the Word. Prophets possess foresight. Teachers have insight. While prophets often are risk-takers, teachers move more by understanding and, and planning the list, of course, could go on. Teachers are essential in the body of Christ to give the sheep a good foundation in the Word of God. There is a, a kind of saying to remind us to keep a balance in these things. Teaching of the Word without the Spirit means that we dry up. Chasing the Spirit without the teaching of the Word means that we blow up. These five roles are vital for the church. They cast vision. They identify ministries. They bring God's word in different ways. They teach truth. They promote growth. They ensure stability. They challenge the comfortable and comfort the challenged. Like the letter to Corinth, Paul roots his teaching in love. The exercising of these roles promote maturity so that the believers are not like children who, who can often believe whatever they hear. Instead, he says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Christ. Truth makes us stable, but it must be spoken in love. Speaking the truth without love causes conflict. The opposite error is to think that truth is not as important as love. And so, truth is avoided sometimes to preserve somebody else's feelings. Truth without love is too hard. Love without truth is too soft. It's when we have both that we grow in maturity. And so if you and I are serious about wanting the church to grow, we need to encourage each other to get involved to ask God what he has for each of us to do and what gifts he has given us to empower us and to enable us. We need to strive for love and for maturity. Amen. Uh, that we're going to sing, or it's really a prayer that, that Holy Spirit would come and, and to do his work in the world and in us. And sing, come Holy Spirit, come.
just want to remind you that as the children of God, we have his authority. He lives in us by the Holy Spirit. And so you and I can transform and heal, revive society, working with God. So this week, as we go, wherever we are going to online or going from here, let's go to seek God, to ask him to teach us what he's calling us to do, what our place in society is, how we reach our community with the gospel so that we bring change and love and compassion and mercy and grace, all of the things that God has for us and has shown to us. And as you go, may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Spirit go with you and those whom you love. Amen.